Why does it feel good to give? Because in those moments, you are coming in contact with, you are becoming at one with the source of all goodness. Welcome to Spiritually Hungry. It's been a time, I say. Uh, I think that's partly why we wanted to uh, discuss what we're going to discuss today. And that is the idea of generosity. I think that most of us would like to consider ourselves, I think most of us consider ourselves generous. You think that's true? Or at least we'd like to. It's a very good question, I wonder. I wonder. Everybody I'm ask sure yourself. Probably, I'm sure there's studies about this. Everybody ask yourself this question. Do you consider yourself well, a generous Well, it has to be on a scale person? of one to 10. How generous are you? It's an interesting question. Mm. Um, but if I can, I would go a step back. And I think really at the core, and this is what, where, especially I think in these times, it's an important question. And I'm not sure if we, if we all think about this a lot, but we definitely live our lives based on some assumptions about the answer to this question. But I'm not sure that many of us have actually taken the time to think through this question. And that is, are people generally good or generally bad? Or put otherwise, kind. do people behave selfishly most of the time? Or do people behave with generosity most of the time? Which I think is a very interesting question. And there's a lot of philosophy around this. But I, I would ask, Carl, I think it's a very interesting question. Just to think about. Would you, I think especially in this current time in our world, most would think that people are more bad than good. selfish than kind, bad than good. Interesting. Well, Although I don't share that philosophy. Yes, neither do I. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's why it's so important to, to bring up this question, and hopefully maybe we'll add some, some wisdom around it as well. I think what happens is when we view really horrible things that we do to one another, it chips away at how we view humanity. I mean, that's kind of normal when you see the ugliness and evil that, that people can do to one another. Then you realize that, okay, we are all capable of that. And, and I think that it becomes so overwhelming and shocking that it seems like that is the stronger force in the world, which of course it isn't. But well, you say, of course. I think it's, I mean, certainly you and to I us, believe that. Of course, it is. But I think it's really important to, to, to understand the parameters of this. And hopefully, we'll be able to give some over to our, to our listeners today. Well, we were also inspired by an article we both read in the New York Times by David Brooks. And I liked this. He shared an experiment that was conducted by a group of psychologists. So they took 200 people from around the world and gave them each $10,000 with no strings attached. The big question was how would they spend the money? The assumption a lot of us would make is that they would keep it all or spend it ostentatiously. Really? Ostentatiously? I mean, just spend it on themselves. Where are you reading from? My own paper. Okay. Yet, on average, the participants spent more than $6,400 of the money they received to help others. That's a lot out of $10,000. It's more than half. And that concluded almost... Like the way I did the quick math? <laughs> and that included almost 1700 given to charity... Another 3,678 went to people outside their immediate household. And 2,163 was spent on strangers, acquaintances, and donations. I think that's very cool. And I think it's beginning to answer the question, right? At least from this study and others that, were, that are done in this way, that by nature, 
right? Human beings are more likely to, to be good than bad, to be altruistic rather than selfish. And in, in, in that study, right, because the question can be asked, maybe the reason they spent it in this way because they knew they were going to be reporting it, but people... That was false as well. Yeah, so people use the money to take friends out for meals, or to support families that had lost loved ones, or to support an organization that provides construction training to marginalized people. So the cynic may ask, maybe they were just spending the way that way so they could selfishly win status and applause. Not likely. Some of the people in the experiment were told to record their spending on Twitter, and the rest were told to keep their spending private, meaning so you had a really good, you know, two cohorts. One of them knew that what they, how they used the money for, would be known, and one was no, knew that the, how they used their money would not be known. There was little difference between those who publicized their outlays and those who didn't. Overall, the researchers concluded that people find it rewarding to spend money on others, and I think. I mean, it feels good to give, and I think I don't think anybody can argue that point, right? Right. Well, I think the point is. In the past, and a lot of economic theory was based on people's selfishness. So, so, you, so David Brooks in the article brings the. Right, I thought this was really interesting too. Right, so right, so he talks about sort of Machiavelli, right? And the whole Machiavelli thesis is that is that you know people are deceitful, ungrateful, and covetous, and you have to live life in that in that way. And even classical economics is based on the idea that people relentlessly pursue their yeah. own self-interest. Uh, Gordon Tullock, for example, a famous economist, said the average human being is about 95% selfish in the narrow meaning of the term. Richard Dawkins, the biologist, argues that we are born selfish. Which is against everything Kabbalah teaches. One more piece of information. Thir only 30% of Americans say that they can trust the people around them, or suggesting a quite a grim view of human nature. So I think it's it's important. But that last bit that doesn't seem thirty percent of Americans believe they can trust people outside of themselves. It has to do with all kinds of other things. Well, I, mean, I think yeah, yeah, and I think okay. So, so the spiritual perspective, right? So, and I think this it's interesting, right? As is often true, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? So it's not that Machiavelli or or Richard Dawkins are one hundred percent wrong. It's certainly not that the studies that prove that people are more giving than selfish are wrong. But rather the understanding that we're, we are actually made up of two equal parts. There's a part of us, which we would call the ego, or in Kabbalistic terms, the desire to receive for the self alone, is selfish. And there is that part of us, equal, maybe slightly stronger, that would, I would call is our soul, that part of us that enjoys giving, that knows that there's more pleasure in giving than in receiving. But if you think about, if you think about the, in, in larger terms, what this means is that we have a choice. Now, we have a choice how to behave. None of us are born selfish. Richard Dawkins is wrong about that. We're born 50-50. And our environment, maybe wisdom we're, 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 we're shown or taught, will help us tilt one way or the other. We have free will. Well, I'm just but, thinking as you're yeah. speaking. As I, when I was going to college, I was also working at a at a school, and I just learned so much by watching these children. Like you would think that children are 
sweet by nature and they are right and that they're they're kind-hearted and they are but you ever see a child be like no that's mine like the way they would fight and go at it but then if you actually sat a child down and explained to them like well sally which part of yourself do you want to give from do you think that that makes timmy feel nice and then they would always melt into yes i want to give and share but it's interesting because you actually see that 50 50 they're very malleable then right right but but you know like no, that's my toy that's my truck that's my cupcake but then if you if you show them the other person's feelings and how that makes them feel, they'll quickly turn the other and, way. And so this is the second point, which I think is very important. Not only do I have a choice about which part of me I will live most of my life directed towards, meaning the, the soul part of me, the giving part of me, the altruistic part of me, or the selfish desire to receive for the self alone part of me, how I view the world, how I interact with people, how I try to uplift people, is very much my responsibility and free will as well. So, and also your view is going to make you be either more selfish or more generous. Right. So it's interesting. So, so we have the envious position of dealing or teaching people, being with people who are on a trajectory, a desire, a path of positive change. When I look at somebody, and I think this is a very important understanding. It's not that I necessarily see them as all good, right? None of us are all good or all bad, but it's just the fact that I have a strong belief that if a person wants to become better, he or she can. And I think part of the message we want to share today is that it is actually my responsibility to help others live up to their soul, live up to their better part, and not that other part of them. What's that famous overused saying? Be the change you wish to see in the world, right? By being. Well, that's part of it. What I'm saying, I'm saying more than that. But right? I'm saying not just. You always are. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> not just what you said is very important, right? To be well, clear. I didn't say it. Yeah, but, was... but but that point is very important. That it's also how, by the unfortunately, I know many people who aren't. In, even in their own lives and in their own pursuit of life. Forget about not necessarily choosing more often than not the better part of them to behave with, right? But I think a bigger part of that is the fact that we actually have a responsibility to many, towards many more people, towards our children, towards our friends, to uplift them. And uplift them means this message. You're my friend, you're my child, I love you, but be clear. Just like I, you have a, a a soul part and a and a ego part, a, a part of you that wants to be giving more than receiving, and a part of you that wants to be receiving a lot more than giving, and and I'd like to help you with kids. Obviously, it's more important to actually have this active conversation to live more that soul part of you, that part of you that is generous, that is a giver. Well, it's I, interesting. I've talked about this a lot in terms of the parent-child relationship the way it's set up from birth is the parent is the giver and the child is the receiver. And for some, right, that continues way beyond when it should, right? That continues on for the entirety of the relationship. But in fact, at some point, that relationship is supposed to shift, where then the child also becomes a giver and the parent can become a receiver. And then, of course, as the the parent gets older and older, then again, the responsibilities change even more in that way. But I've heard you talk about this concept of sharing as a servant. And you had said... So when we no longer feel that we have a choice about whether to give or not to give, our consciousness becomes that of a servant, not in the sense of lowering ourselves, 
but it's in the sense of elevating ourselves, which is exactly what we're talking about, right? By elevating ourselves, we also elevate those around, around us. us. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, if I, if I may say so myself. It's not my original <laughs> thought, it's from it's from the ancient wisdom, but but I think it's a very important way. And it's interesting, I, I'll start with the quote from my father, who would always say, I am the most selfish person in the world, and therefore I try to give as often as I can, and give, of course, not just physical, but it's in time, and effort, and love, because I know that for me to be the happiest person is for me to be the most giving person. So I think it's really important that we're not talking about being, you know, quote-unquote, good person. The bottom line here is that if you want to have the most fulfilling life, if you want to have an amazing day, you need to be in this direction. And, and you call it being, a, like you quoted that by the idea of being a servant. I think, again, not... You know, nobody likes that word, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. But it actually makes you take pause and say, okay, well, what does that really mean? I think that's why it's a powerful right. phrase. And I would say, and, and, and for the purpose of actually having the most amazing life. The, the, again, I, th- I think this is a very important... It's more thought. like you're running with that energy each exactly. day, right? That's what a servant, you're serving that part of your nature. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think, and again, I think part of human development is to move towards that, right? So, again, an an interesting question for our listeners, do you see yourself in any way as a servant towards others? And again, not in the negative way, where like, you know, sort of the the wife or the husband who always does whatever their spouse tells them, or or the the guy at work who's sort of the doormat, right? That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about, this actually comes from great strength, where my desire, because because I know that that is actually what, what will make me the happiest person possible, is to live as a servant towards others, to live as a servant towards others. And it's actually something I try to remind myself of a, a lot. Um, and I give you ample opportunity. Yes. Not enough. <laughs> not enough. I wish you gave me more opportunity to serve. But I think, again, for our listeners, I think it's an important question to ask, which is, if I understand, and if I can take one step back, I think the wisdom underpinnings of this is important. The, the philosophical understanding is important. Why is it, as my father would say, that if you are the most selfish person, which means if you want to have the, great, the greatest life, if you want to have the most greatest day, you have to be pursuing the, the life of, of serving others, right? Of, of sharing. Because, and I hope this isn't too deep, the energy that created this world, what we call the Creator, or the light of the Creator, is the force that gives us pleasure. When you are connected to that force, when you are in tune with that force, when you are at one with that force, you are experiencing pleasure. And in spiritual matters, there is no space or time. So, how do I become at one, connected to that force of all blessings, that force of all light, that force of all happiness? Well, I have to be behaving like that force. It is as simple as that. Which means you seize every opportunity to do good. I mean, there are two ways to approach giving in this world, right? There's those who wait to be asked for help, which again, I think many of us have a desire to help, but we like, oh, if they need it, then I'll be there and I'll show up. And then this is the part that I really try to aspire to be, and it's it's a conscious, it's a, it's a constant effort, right? Because it's not a natural state. It's those who think of a way to help and then do it without hesitation or even being waited, waiting to be asked. Yes. Right? So... <laughs> That's a beautiful addition, because based on that, I'd like to underscore <laughs> what we were saying before, right? Which is... Which we're still <clears throat> saying. Which we're still saying, exactly. <laughs> that the only way to maximize my blessings, 
the only way to maximize my goodness in my own life is by being behaving like that energy that we call the creator or the light of the creator. And the only thing we know about that energy is that it's in a constant state of giving. So when you're in tune with that, when you are in a relatively constant state of giving, you are at one, connected to the source of all blessings, the source of all light, the source of all happiness. So that's why, by the way, why does it feel good to give? Because in those moments, you are coming in contact with, you are becoming at one with the source of all goodness. Okay, I totally know what you're saying, and I agree with it. But I, I can hear our listeners, some of them thinking this, because sometimes people give to the wrong people, or sometimes people give things that they shouldn't give. And so this giving, I think we kind of have to d- define it, really. I mean, it should be obvious, but it's not, right? Well, I, if yeah. you want to be that force, then... I mean, I guess what I would say is that first you have to know how to really give to yourself in a healthy way, which means respect your desires, your wishes, have that connection relationship to the creator and with yourself. And then from that place, you'll be directed in which ways to give. But I just think it's an important... Sure. So it's a very important point. Very yeah. important point. And, and, and I know a lot of victim givers. Yes. And that's yeah. the worst. That, that doesn't connect you to... I mean, I, I don't want to say it, right? But that probably doesn't connect you to anything positive. So... The, the act of giving isn't, like you said, I think it, it needs to be, I would say, it needs to come from a very powerful place. Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about this. I know that skeptics often, when they talk about giving, you know, someone's like, oh, it requires a big sacrifice on your part. I mean, I think that's why sometimes people feel like they shouldn't give too much because they won't have enough for themselves, or what do they have to give, you know, that they don't want to. There was a story, there's two stories I actually want to share. There's one about a man who survived the Holocaust in Poland, He explained how he survived. He was near starvation for an extended period of time. No one had done anything heroic to help him. There were no great sacrifices on his behalf. Rather, he survived by a string of kindnesses. One, because this is to the point we were making earlier about you don't really know how much one thing that you do can change somebody's life, right? We often think, what what change will I really do in the world, especially the world today, right? What what's one act of kindness really going to do to shift something? But it makes huge changes for all of us all over the world in ways we don't even realize. So he said, one person gave him a place to sleep for the night. Another family gave him a meal. Another offered him necessities. This is how he survived. It suggests that repeated acts of kindness are actually preferable to extraordinary acts of sacrifice. But now I want to play devil's advocate because I thought this was really interesting as well. There was a study conducted at the University of Minnesota on the effects of starvation in 1944 and 1945. In the, in the Holocaust, you mean? Mm-hmm. What the scientists understood at the time was that people all over the world were starving as a result of World War II. And at some point when the war was over, we would need to nurse them back to health. We'd need to send people to treat those impacted so severely from the tragedies of war. But no one had knew how to do this best, right? They had never really come across this kind of issue. You can't just start feeding people normally after their bodies have experienced such extreme deficits. So in order to find out, scientists conducted a study. This is what I thought was interesting. They took 35 healthy men who volunteered to starve for six months. I knew you would be entertained by this on some level. I hope they were paid a lot of money. I don't think so. And and But this is what's interesting. So the scientists could then understand what happens to the body under these circumstances and then how to heal them. So I, I actually came across this because Malcolm Gladwell talks about this study and the men specifically who were involved in this in an interview that he did on Dan Harris's 10% Happier Show, both great podcasts, by the way. 
He explained that these men, as a result of their involvement with the study and experiencing such starvation, had health problems and eating disorders that lasted them the entirety of their lives. After so it wasn't this. so great to be no, part but of this. This is study. what was interesting. Each of them said, almost all of them said they would do it again. The benefit outweighed the cost. What was the benefit? The greater good took precedence over their own health. So these men specifically were religious men. And they, because of their religious beliefs, refused to fight in the war, but they wanted to be part of giving to the world in some way. So they found purpose in their giving. They felt that in this way, they could offer themselves to then help other people heal. So it was an interesting idea about giving and sacrifice and transformative sharing. I knew you would have an issue with this because obviously having an eating disorder the rest of a person's life or health issues, but they saw a great benefit no, for sure. in sharing. Right, but I think... I don't know, there's something to it. Well, yeah, I... But I think, again, for sure, and that's a whole other level of people who are willing to sacrifice. It's interesting, a few days ago, we were at George Washington. We went to a tour of Mount Vernon, George Washington's house. And one of the I things... I was going to mention that trip at the end. Oh, sorry. So, so, Monica, no, go ahead. anything you want to share about... I want to hear, no, because what I'm going to say is going to be something different than what you're it saying. It is? Okay. Probably. No, what I was going to say is one of the things that stuck really stuck with me is George Washington's sacrifice, right? Yeah. That that he was the general, I think, I forget the exact number. Eight he, years. Eight and eight. Eight, and it was eight and eight, so total yeah. 16 years. He loved his house in Mount Vernon. Stunning view yeah. of the Potomac yeah. uh, River, and just, yeah. But Beautiful. He, but in the entirety of his life, he only he actually ended up spending there for three, three years. years. Because he spent 16 years of his life giving. Right, the first eight years himself. were for... The war, war and eight and years as president. For government, yeah. Yeah. But the point is, for sure, there's great benefit in sacrifice. But I would say for our listeners, I would I would quote, quote Maimonides, who says, he posits the question, if you have, let's say, $1,000 to share, is it better to give $1,000 to one person or place, or to give $1 to 1,000 people? And and the answer is to give $1 to 1,000 people or places, because it is the act of giving that actually transforms us. It is the act. And the more actions you can do, even if they're of smaller significance, it actually changes you in the way that you want to be changed and connects you, as I said, to that energy of, of the light of the Creator and brings the greatest benefit into your life. And I do. I do think that idea of sacrifice, though, then just takes it up another level. Like, how far would you yes. be willing to go? Or what would you deny yourself in order yeah, to have and, I, and I think it's an important conversation to have. Yeah, for sure. And, and, I, and I try to think about this often. Like, I don't, again, sacrifice is a continuum, right? Obviously, it's the extreme sacrifice, starving yourself for six months and having a, a eating disorder <laughs> the rest of your life. And that's one sacrifice. Even George Washington sacrificing for 16 years. But then there's a sacrifice of, you know, my friend is in need and it's 12 o'clock at night. I don't feel like maybe I'll do it tomorrow. You can do it in small ways, yes. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of small sacrifices. And again, what I, what I think is so important to remember... Because often we just think about our tiredness, our hunger, our basic needs, right? And that usually is the feeling we feel mostly when in that moment. And, and, and I think what's important is to realize why we're doing this. We're doing this because this is what makes us happy. We're doing this. This this would makes us better. This this would makes more bring more blessings into our life. That if that's the driving force, you'll have much more. It'll be coming from the better place, from a more right place. Mm. I, I I also want to point out, you know, because some because I think the benefits, right? If you really want to inspire change, you want to talk about the benefits. So there's a book called The Penguin and the Leviathan um, by Yochai Benkler of Harvard University, and he said. Fully half of all people systematically, significantly, and predictably behave 
cooperatively. How many? 60%? 50%. Consistently. Across a, a wide range of experiments in widely diverse populations, one finding stands out. In practicality, no human society examined under controlled conditions have the majority of people consistently behaved selfishly. Mm -hmm. So, in all studies, when you study, most people, yeah, it's definitely, definitely hopeful and true. Adam Grant, and this I thought was really interesting as well. So, he has a book called Give and Take. And he talks about, and he's an organizational psychologist. So he he trying to try to see in, in organizations, in companies, where are the givers and where are the takers, right? Where do they wind up in the company? Because one might assume right. the givers stay on the bottom, the and the takers the, are the ones that grow. So are the ones that are in the the boardroom or whatever. Exactly. Right. So he identified other centered people in the organizations, in parentheses the givers, and self centered people, the takers. The ones who were always on the lookout for what they could extract for themselves, right? So there's two groups, clearly, as we see in life. He found that many of the low-performing workers were givers. That's true, as one might unfortunately expect. They allowed themselves to be walked over, taken advantage of. But when Grant looked at the top performers in organizations, he found that givers dominated those ranks, too. Mm-hmm. These givers had golden reputations, wider social networks, better relationships. People wanted to work with and collaborate with them. It's best to be a giver who knows, in extreme cases, how to stand up for oneself. But the reality is, forget it now, because we're talking from a spiritual sense, and hopefully we're trying to make it clear that this is a, a very selfish, necessarily selfish desire to become a giver. But also, if you want to look at work, if you want to look at how to, to make your way in society, sci this book also tells us that based on these studies that the givers actually wind up at on the top more more than the takers as well but it goes against what everybody feels in that moment right like i need i mean i see this a lot among women and i see it less because i don't want to see it right i'm trying to be that force of change but especially among women there's this like there's only enough room for one of us at the top or we one of us in the exercise space <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's just free it, it i just and i don't see it anymore because i i don't want to see it and i want to really be in a different space and create that kind of environment and community but that is kind of the feeling especially if women had a harder time getting ahead or whatever the narrative may be there will be 101 excuses but the truth is it doesn't really work that way yeah and I think that's a really important point. I think underlying all this is that we're not, our hope in, in sharing this is not just for our listeners to maybe change how they go through life, but also realize the responsibility that we have, both in how we perceive society. Science is telling us that, that people are actually behaving more good than bad. And we actually, each of us, each of us has a responsibility to uplift people and uplift people, which means again, with your children, with your friends, have this conversation around the fact that being a giver actually progresses you in life. Being a giver actually brings better blessings and benefits to your life. And I often think about it, and, and not, coincidentally, not coincidentally this time, as with, with all the chaos that's going on in the world, most of us, or I think most of us know the story of Noah and the Flood. And the story is that that Noah was aware that unless humanity changed, there was going to be great destruction. And Noah decided to build the ark, talk to, a little bit to people, let them know what he's doing. And jump on it. <laughs> and then save himself. And the Zohar, the ancient texts, really holds Noah accountable. Noah accountable. Why did he not do more? 
to try to change society. And I saw something which I think is a very important message, that it wasn't that Noah didn't believe in Creator, God, and the forces of good and evil. He didn't believe in himself. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever we see people behaving badly, whenever we see chaos in the world, I think the message for each one of us should be, believe in yourself. Believe that you can actually bring change, whether it's to one person, to 10 people, to 100 people. I think it's a very, very important message, especially at this time, and especially around this topic. It is our responsibility to uplift people. Every, I'm sure, by the way, every single one of our listeners, of our thousands of listeners, has today an opportunity to lift up one other, one more person than they think they can. And think how we've shifted and tilted the world yeah. to goodness. Yeah. A thousand percent. Just think of it that way. So every time you do an act or I do an act, we should think of a thousand other people doing that one act. And that changes everything. If our listeners needed any more reason to share, there is something that scientists have coined a term for the feeling of pleasure we get when we give. Do you know what it's called? The pleasure? No, tell me. The warm glow effect. Not only does sharing create a sense of happiness, as discovered in a survey of 30,000 American households, it was found that those who gave to charity were 43% more likely to say they were happy about their lives than those who did not give. But it also affords us the chance to grow, to change lives, to change the lives of others, our own, and ultimately the world. And I think we felt this warm glow effect this weekend when we were, as you said, in Washington, visiting one of our kids who goes to school there. And uh, there are a lot of highs to the weekend, but the one that stood out the most to me, that made me feel the most happy and fulfilled, was this moment we had at the end of the trip. So we went to Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's house in Virginia. And it's really amazing how they've restored it. And they've also found you know, his personal items and actually put it in the house, like his bed, his desk bed that he died on that he died on and just you walk through and they tell you what they added on and what was built and which year and it's really amazing anytime you walk through where giants have walked or where history occurred it's it's really humbling because you realize how small you are in the big picture of the universe but anyway we um friends of ours arranged for a tour guide to take us around and and he was a really sweet man he was very old and he kept poking fun at I hope himself. he doesn't hear you. <laughs> and, and, you know, I love walking. So he's like, you know, I'm so old. We're going to take the golf cart around. It's too, it's too much for me to walk in my old age. Like he was making, you know, a little self-deprecating. And, and he was lovely. But he, you could tell he'd been doing this one job his entire life. Like this is his whole life, right? Anyway, at the end of the tour, we gave him a tip. And you and I went back and forth about how much to give because we did it on one hand, we really felt the desire to really share with this person. On the other hand, we didn't want to give too much where he would feel embarrassed or too little where he didn't feel like he did a good job. And we decided to to be generous, right? More in that way. So anyway, we hand him the money. He, of course, doesn't look at it while we're standing there. We walk away, we say goodbye. And then he comes over to us about a minute later and he's crying. And he said, in all the years he's done this, and by the way, through the, the tour, he's been saying like he took a senator out on a tour, and he took the, like he's he's taken many many people. So he's never received a tip like that. And it's not that we were outrageous; we were generous, right? But he felt so seen and appreciated, That's and I'm That's sure that he needed the money. And then we started getting teary eyed, and for me, that was the most powerful part of the trip because sharing and giving in any way that you can with any part of yourself feels good and it does good 
Absolutely. So if I if I can end with I, I was there's there's um, a famous anthropologist, a French anthropologist. His name is Marcel Mauss, and he wrote a book called The Gift. And I, it's a really interesting book. It might be a little hard to read, but I do recommend if you have the time, where he talks about the importance of giving and taking in society. That societies are actually built upon the giving and taking, not transactional, but actually as it creates bonds between people. In the beginning of the book, he quotes an old Scandinavian Edda, which is a, a collection of ancient poems from the Havamal. So, I'd, and I thought it was really interesting, and also very much to this point. So, I'd like to share this with with our listeners. I have never found a man so generous and so liberal in feeding his guests that to receive would not be received. With weapons and clothes, friends must give pleasure to one another. Everyone knows that for sure. Those who exchange presents with one another remain friends the longest. One must be a friend to one's friend and give present for present. One must have laughter for laughter and sorrow for sorrow. You know if you have a friend in whom you have confidence, and if you wish to get good results, your soul must blend in with his, and you must exchange presents and frequently pay him visits. It's beautiful. Yeah, and that's that's the idea that that and and by the way, so the, the the book, the gift by Marcel Moss, has had a very big impact on philosophers. But I think this idea, it's not just about you know again giving a, a nice tip to somebody who helped. This is a, a way to view life, that life is really the creation of of deep soul connections, and that comes from giving and receiving, giving and receiving. And then you get your warm glow effect. On. Exactly. So I'd like to uh, share uh, a letter, a really beautiful letter from one of our listeners. So it's from Elana, Precious, Monica, and Michael. I've never been called Precious. I know, it's sweet, right? I I like like that. that. My family has been on a journey for the past year, supporting our darling son, Noah, in his recovery from addiction. Mm. It's been the most piercing and painful time in all of our lives, as you can well imagine. Suffice it to say that without the wisdom of Kabbalah that I welcomed into my life a few years ago, I'm not sure I would have made it through the demands of the last year. This podcast, your, <laughs> your teachings and offerings through the, through the center have been a beacon of profound light during the darkest time of my life. As I sat down today to try to craft a letter of profound gratitude to you, I was called to listen to episode 138. Michael, your list of what it takes to do the work is exactly what I have committed to since day one of our son's illness, when there was so much fear, darkness, and confusion. My soul, and in parentheses, and ego, knew that if I was to embrace this opportunity as a gift from the Creator for our entire family, most importantly, our son and brother, that I had to use the tools I had. I knew I was being ushered into my life's most important opportunity to date. Everything my soul guided me towards was for this exact moment. Mm. I dove into consistent, deeply uncomfortable, mostly beyond logic, and especially when I didn't want to, quote, practice. I worked to banish doubt about the certainty that the path was exactly as it needed to be, and that the desired outcome of healing and expansion for my son and all of us would be for a spiritual healing and awakening. And so it is. The journey is for always, I know the healing never done, the precarious nature of this disease always there. But love grows, 
Surrender deepens. Wisdom expands. And there are blessings where most people would imagine could only be darkness and despair. Beauty and joy has returned. Life is being lived. I see many families in this same situation, and most do not have the grounded nature of spiritual direction to guide them so readily. I witness the way it is for many in those rooms and in general, without trust and certainty in a guiding presence. I'm not saying my work is easy, but the spark of divine intelligence, the light of awareness that I connect to daily, offers a blanket of protection and a guiding light that supports us to turn our wounds into wisdom and our pain into purpose. Mm. Without you as guides and mentors, I'm not sure I would have made it through the storm in this profound way. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you and I'm grateful for you. Your work has been for many blessings, for many blessings, and I know I shall continue to for countless souls wandering in our midst. I pray and trust the blessings are returned to all of you in gratitude, Alana and her family. It's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. So, Alana, thank you for sharing this with us both profound and beautiful and real and honest and you know this is why we do what we do and i'm sure that you're sharing this letter with us and with our listeners as going to bring great light and blessings to them and to you as well so this is a a beautiful reminder to all of our listeners please continue to send your stories inspirations comments topic ideas to monica and michael at spirituallyhungry.life Monica and Michael at spirituallyhungry.life. As you can tell, these stories inspire us. They they inspire all of our listeners. So please take the time and write to us. Also, make sure to share this podcast with everybody you know on Apple Podcasts. Give it five stars. Write reviews everywhere you can. We do this because of the effect that this powerful wisdom has on so many people. And you can help us by sharing this with more and more people as well. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Stay spiritually hungry.